All right, so if you wear a hat today, go ahead and wave it at me. I see a couple hats out there. We got some hats going on. All right. Any ladies with hats? Any ladies with hats this morning? No ladies with hats this morning. All right. As you can see, I've donned my hat. This is the Buffalo Sabres NHL hockey team. So, and you know what? When I wear a hat, I can actually see you guys. So, so hats are really cool for, you know, keeping the sun or keeping the light out of your eyes, right? But a lot of times hats have to do with identities, right? Or some, maybe a headdress has to do with an identity. Look at this picture right here. What, what does this convey to you? A chief, right? That's a chief's headdress. Or, or how about the next one? Queen, royalty, very good. Royalty, the monarchy, right? How about the next one? Officer, trooper hat, highway patrolman, something like that. And we have another one. All right. Red hat society, right? What is that? What age is that? Nobody, nobody wants to admit it. All right, so it's ladies that attain a certain age are part of the Red Hat Society. Excellent. Good way to dodge that bullet. <laughs> now, sometimes we wear hats to communicate something about us, right? Something about us. Go ahead and, and, and show the next picture. This man is wearing, no, not a hat, but he's wearing hair. He's identifying himself with dreadlocks, right? Or if you remember back in the 80s, right? What, what did we have back in the 80s? The mullet, right? Business in the front, party in the back, that kind of stuff, right? It just depends on how you wear your hair, right? Let's, let's show another one. Okay, so now you have not even just a shaved, buzzed head, but you have tattoo heads as well. These people are defining who they are by the hairstyle in which they wear. So if you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, if you've done maybe some preview reading already, you know kind of where we're headed in our study. Uh, You probably noticed in chapter 11 that Paul is dealing with a, a really big issue here about women wearing hats or veils or some type of head covering in church. Um, now, as you notice, we don't really enforce that around here at Connect, right? But starting next week, ladies, I want to see hats on everyone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? That brings up a question. Why is Paul dealing with this head cover thing? I mean, Connect, we teach the Bible, right? We, we teach the truth of the Bible. We teach everything in the Bible. We be, believe the Bible is inspired for living and correction and all this kind of stuff. So why, why don't we enforce head coverings here? Some of you might be asking that question. Well, in this case, actually what Paul is dealing with is he's talking about a cultural relevance here in this, in this issue. And we're going to kind of step through 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to talk about this. Why, why was Paul talking about women and head coverings and hats or veils or whatever you want to call it? So uh, the first thing I want to talk about, well, first thing I want to do is take off that hat. Okay, there we go. Now I feel a little bit better. Okay, so what we need to figure out is what was happening back in old Corinth, right? Why was Paul talking about this issue in 1 Corinthians 11? Now, this is week 10. We've gone through a lot of 1 Corinthians, right? And we've seen why Paul was addressing 
all of these issues in 1 Corinthians. And there was obviously a reason for it. So we get to this and we're like, okay, so, so what was Paul talking about? Well, uh, give you a little bit of context and a little bit of, uh, of history here. There was a bunch of ladies who thought that Jesus had already returned and they were actually living in the resurrection. And there's a lot more that goes along with that. But I'm just going to stop right there and just say that there was a group that thought they were living in the resurrection time. And so as odd as it sounds, in chapter 7, we saw that there was a bunch of ladies that weren't having sex with their husbands. And we talked about that quite a few weeks ago. In chapter 14 now, in a couple weeks, we're going to see that uh, this group of women thought they were super spiritual and they were exercising all of these super spiritual gifts. And so we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But here in chapter 11, there was, uh, they had abandoned the traditional head coverings that was part of their culture at the time. And this was a big deal because of the culture in which they lived in, in Corinthians. And really what that communicated by having that veil or that head covering for women in churches, it signified that they were married. So that was culturally something that that, that conveyed in that culture back in Corinth, okay? Now for us, the, what I was thinking about, okay, well, how do we signify in our present day culture that we're married? And I thought of my wedding ring, okay? That's one way for us to signify, obviously, that we're married is by having a wedding ring on. And, and I remember, you know, with my job, um, a lot of times when I'm working on equipment, I work around electronics, which is electricity, and part of our safety thing is to take off the ring. So a lot of times throughout the week, I'm taking off my ring, and I put it in my pocket, and then sometimes I'll go to lunch, and I'll forget to put my ring back on, and I'll look down, and I'll go, ah, I don't have my ring on. You know, I'm so used to wearing my ring, and I know that when I'm out in public, what this signifies is the fact that, hey, I'm married and I'm proud of it, you know? And so I want to make sure that I'm always wearing my ring. So that was kind of the deal here that Paul was addressing with this particular group of women in, in Corinth. And, so, and Paul was saying to that group that we need to follow the customs of the day because of what this signifies to society and to the culture around us. So we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to just read a couple verses, 4 and 5 here, and we're going to pick out some other verses in 1 Corinthians 11 as we walk ourselves down this road as to why was Paul talking about this. 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uh, had uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, I've done a little research on the shaving thing, and evidently in that culture, having a shaved head could mean that you were a prostitute. That was new information for me. I didn't realize that. So once you do a little historical background check, you find out a little more information to kind of flush this out as to what Paul was talking about here. Now, um, so let's dig a little deeper into this principle and find out uh, what we learn in verse 3. So 1 Corinthians eleven three says this, But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So we're reading this out of the NLT, and I bring this up for, for a reason. 
Because the NLT, if, if you would just read that like that, the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man, then that would mean that, um, that Alicia Mackey would have to do whatever TJ told her to do, right? I mean, if we read this, that, that would, that, that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here. But hang on. Uh, that's not what it means. Let me read it from another version, and, and I believe that this is a more accurate version and meaning of what Paul is talking about here. So I'm going to go to the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, and read this. 1 Corinthians 11.3 out of the ESV. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Okay, that's the same. But the, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, that is really a lot different, isn't it? When you read it out of the ESV, it's a lot different because Alicia, uh, TJ is not Alicia's husband, so, so that, that doesn't work out. Jake is Alicia's husband. So this would apply to Jake and Alicia, or it would apply to TJ and Melina. So that is a lot different when you kind of understand what's going on here uh, with the two translations. But now the question that each one of you had, and I had the same question, is why are the two translations so different? One is kind of saying one thing, or it is saying one thing, and the other one is saying another thing. Well, I'm glad that you asked that question because I'm going to talk about that next. I love how you guys are right with me. You're almost ahead of me. It's awesome. So what we're going to do is this is all of a sudden turned into Greek lesson school right now, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to walk down the road of the Greek a little bit because all of these in the New Testament was written in Greek and then it was translated into English, okay? So there is a little bit of a translation thing that we need to understand and we need to go back to the Greek to understand that. So the word in the Greek is gune. Now, not a goon. I'm not calling women a goon, all right? Or I'm not from Canada saying A like the flying mallets are, okay? But goon A, in this context, it means woman or wife, okay? So in the English, it's been translated into both woman or wife. And then the man or husband is an heir, an heir, I used to think that was called aner, but I, I just don't think that sounds quite right. So it's, it's an air, all right, is, is how you pronounce that, in case you were wondering. Okay, that Greek word can be translated as man or husband. So here again, we have a little bit of a problem because of going from Greek to English. That's why one translation, the NLT, translated it into woman and man, and the ESV translated it into wife or husband. So it kind of is a little bit of a mystery, but what you need to do then in order to figure out how is the best way to translate Greek into English is context. Context is the way that we figure out what is the best English word to use for the Greek word that is in that sentence, and that is context. And the ESV translates Paul's message in context much better than the NLT. And you can imagine, it's a little bit of confusion, because some Christians over the years have translated this passage and others in the Bible to teach that men are superior to women. And you've probably heard that if you've been around Christianity for any length of time or, or anything like that. There is certain 
preachers and teachers, and there's been certain teaching to say that men are superior to women. But that's not at all what Paul had intended. And usually Paul, he usually takes, takes the, the hit for that one in the New Testament. And there are other passages that, that are, can be used out of context, right? There are other passages that can be used out of po- context to support this argument of man's superiority over women. But if we look at the context of what Paul is talking about in this paragraph, it's clear that he's talking about a marriage relationship. So I don't know if this is new information for you or not, but I thought it was really important for us to kind of go over why maybe there's differences in the translations. Because a lot of times we teach out of the NLT. Sometimes we use the ESV, but the ESV is definitely a better, more accurate translation for this verse. Paul is not saying that women are inferior to men. And Paul is not saying that men should lead everything. And Paul is not saying that women should be doormats. What Paul is saying, he's making an important point here that once we get through all the minutia about uh, what is it actually, what's Paul actually referring to, once we get through all that, Paul is making the point here, and it's our big idea for the day. So if you're taking notes with us today, this is your big idea. Everyone has a head. All right, so say to your neighbor, dude, everyone has a head. Good job. Say it to your other neighbor, dude, everybody has a head. All right, I heard a couple dudes out there. That's awesome. That's really cool, dude. Everyone, I feel like I got the dreadlocks now, right, from that one picture that uh, I would not look good in dreadlocks, by the way. That would that'd be bad. Well, I don't have enough hair, right? So there you go. All right, so everyone has a head. Now, what we learn here is that uh, the wife's head is her husband, and I'm going to flush that out a little bit more here in a second. We also learn that the husband's head is Christ. And did you know that Christ also has a head? Christ also has a covering, and that is God the Father. That's what we pick up in this verse here. Everyone has a head. So uh, all the rest of of this passage that we're reading is really hard to understand. If you're new to the Bible, recognizing, but we need to recognize who the head is. It's all about showing the customary respect for whomever that head is. And like I had made mention, in Paul's day, it was considered respectful to Jesus for men to pray with their heads uncovered. And in Paul's day, it was also considered respectful for, uh, for husbands, for a woman, to pray with their head covered. Now, I know you have the question of Why? right? Why was that so important? Why was that the custom of the day? Why was that relevant in Paul's day? Uh, I have no idea. I really don't know. Really nobody knows why that there was this, this head covering and that was part of their custom. But we can surmise uh, the importance of this headship. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. So like I'd made mention, everyone has a head. So what does it mean to have a head? Well, obviously that's a metaphor. Now in the Jewish uh, culture, the head was a metaphor for a leader. So uh, like the head of a body, right? And, And the head controls the body and everything like that. It was a metaphor for a leader. But in the Corinthians case, in the Corinth culture, what the head meant, it was a metaphor for a source. 
So like the, the headwaters of a river, right? All the tributaries and all that, that come in and, and they, they form this river and then there's a head to the river and then there you go. So in the Corinthians case, it meant a source. So why do we need to know about this headship? I mean, it's the 21st century, right? And it seems like a very strange section of the Bible for us to be talking about this. But we're going to see here today, there's two things we're going to see. We're going to see that the head leads, and then we're also going to see that the head needs. The head leads, and the head needs. So don't forget, biblically, everybody has a head, and there are two things that we need to know. The first one is that the head leads. That's in your notes, the head leads. Now, Genesis 2, 18 through 24, uh, talks about how uh, it was not good for Adam to be alone. It was not good for man to be alone. And so I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so we read that all the way back in Genesis. And we actually talked about this whole thing about a year and a half ago here at Connect. So most of us know the story, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version real quick. Adam was, was in charge of naming all the animals, and uh, he named all the animals, and then he said, hey, there's nobody here that I can, that's uh, going to help me out. There's nobody I'm compatible with. So God said, all right, hey, I'm going to make somebody that's going to help you, right, and is going to be a suitable helper for you to be compatible with you. So Adam went to sleep. God took a rib. God made a woman from Adam's rib. That's the Cliff Notes version real quick as to that part in Genesis. And so here, Paul references this story in 1 Corinthians eleven eight when he says this, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And so Adam came first, so Adam was the head, and then Eve came from Adam, and she was the helper just right for him. Now in the King James Version, it says help Meet, M-E-T-E, and it's an old English word, and it means suitable, or it means just right. So Eve was made for Adam, and she was suitable, she was just right for Adam. Completing Adam, basically, is what that mindset means. So Eve completed Adam. And so the NLT uh, has the best meaning here, a helper that was just right for man. That's what the NLT says. So God created Adam to lead, but we all know that Adam blew it, right? And I, I, I always make mention of this when we talk about the sin of man or the fall from grace or whatever you want to call it, when Eve was tricked by the serpent and ate from the apple that, or the tree that she wasn't supposed to eat, that Adam was right there next to her. And so I always say, Adam... You were the leader, you were the head. God put you there to help out and to to kind of be in charge and you blew it. You blew it, ma'am. So wives, have your husbands ever blown it? Absolutely, right? So we are in good company, men, and wives understand that the Adam blew it too. So uh, give him another chance, because Eve did, right? Eve gave Adam another chance. So so give the guy give the guy a chance. Now uh, I've blown it many times, and, and God still calls me the lead in, in my family, and it's the position that he's placed me in as husband, 
and as, as a father. Now, now Gene and I, we, you know, we both are leaders. We both have leadership capabilities in our DNA. And so you can imagine that sometimes it's a little bit uh, of a challenge when you have two people that have that type of leadership capabilities and, and, and strong personalities. And I, I think you can probably understand that in your own life or know somebody close to you that, that has that same thing going on. But even though the, the Bible says uh, that I'm the head of the household, so I've been very careful over the years not to overassert that authority because I believe for me to do that would be unbiblical. I believe that would be me, it would be sin for me to overexert that authority or responsibility that God has given me. And in fact, in several occasions, when I have uh, exercised the headship, it's, it's been when I've been under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Basically, Jesus' authority in my life. And, and I was talking to Gene about this this morning because I was really struggling with a story to, to, to give you guys a concrete example. And then she re- reminded me that when we had first came to know Jesus, that I was a huge rock and roll fan. I mean, I still am. But when we got saved, one of the things that the Holy Spirit really convicted me about was the music that I was listening to. And so what I did is I got rid of all of my rock and roll, all of my stuff I got rid of just because I just felt that deep conviction in my spirit that the Holy Spirit was telling me, you need, you need to do a reset in your life musically. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that here in a second, but Gene didn't have that same conviction. And so I was like, we can't listen to anything anymore except for Christian radio, and we need to go down to the Christian bookstore and buy all Christian CDs. And Gene's like, okay, tell me a little bit more about this. So I explained what was going on, and she's like, you know what? I don't have that same conviction, but okay, let's, let's do this. We won't listen to any rock and roll, no oldies, no uh, Michael Jackson, none of that kind of stuff. We'll just listen to Christian music. And so that was one example on how I really felt conviction from the Holy Spirit that I needed to set that up in my life. But that also extended to my family because we had, you know, the girls, uh, Julie and Jesse, our two girls were really little at the time too. And I just really felt that we needed to reset that music in our lives and as a family, not me just personally, I did, but in, in our family as well. And so Gene said, absolutely. And so that was one, one way where I really felt that the Holy Spirit was teaching me something through that. And Gene said, absolutely. Now, years later, what happened is the Holy Spirit kind of showed me another revelation. And the Holy Spirit said, okay, you needed to do that reset in your life for a period of time because God brings us through seasons. And then the other thing that the Holy Spirit showed me is that And this is kind of a food analogy. And so if you know me, you know I like food. I like eating. And Gene's a great cook too, by the way. So uh, so, what, what the Holy Spirit told me is that your meat and potatoes needs to be worship music, Christian music, praise music, that kind of stuff. But it's okay to have dessert. And so you can listen to some of that old music that you enjoyed years ago as long as you treat it as if it is your dessert. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense because I didn't want to be in bondage 
to a rule just for being in bondage to a rule's sake. But that made sense to me. And so then I was like, okay, I get it. And I've used that now for many, many years. And when we were working with the youth and stuff, I'd always tell them that, uh, you know, because they were like, is it wrong for me to listen to country music? And I'm like, no, it's not wrong for you to listen to country music. But I will give you this caution. If you use Christian music and worship music to uplift your soul and your spirit, that should be your meat and potatoes. You can listen, you know, to country music and have a little dessert, but you can't grow only eating dessert, right? I, I would be I would be a basket case in the hospital if the only thing I had is fudge brownie pie. Now I love fudge brownie pie, all right? But I can't li- that can't that won't sustain me. And so it really was a spiritual thing that the Holy Spirit was doing in and through me in the different stages of my walk with God. And that's where I'm I'm saying that Gene was fully behind me. And that is one application that we had um, as far as, you know, me being the head and and Gene saying, absolutely, I feel that you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Let's go for it. So um, it's because I was under the authority of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit was working in and through me. And there have been times where I've stood on that authority. But most of the time, Gene makes important, excellent decisions, right? So it's not like I'm always exercising this. I said I very rarely exercise that because normally I trust Gene's judgment. Gene has a wonderful uh, gifting in discernment much better than I do. She seems like she's always kind of light years ahead of me in the discernment thing, and I'm always trying to run and catch up. And so what I always want to do is honor Jean in that way and, and definitely understand where she's coming from because she has that gift of discernment. Um, yeah, and it's, I've, I've got this in my notes too. I'm glad I, I went back to look at this. I, I often say that when we got married, two became one, Right? And so the way I think about that is that if the two became one, half of my brain is Jean. So if I never ask Jean what she thinks, or if I never go to Jean to find out what her discernment is, or what's, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, then I'm only using half my brain. Well, probably only using half my brain anyways, but, but you get the gist of what I'm trying to say, right? So all that to say that, number one, the head leads, now, number two, which is equally important, is the head needs. Number one is the head leads. Number two is the head needs. And so what I want to do real quick is go to 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12 and read this. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as, for as woman was made from man, man is now born of woman. So here's a really cool thing about this this headship thing. Although the head leads, the head also needs the other part. And I made mention about that before. The husband needs the wife. Just like the, the head of the stream needs its tributaries or it will dry up, the head of the tributaries are interdependent. And the same thing with the body. You know, although the head leads your body, it still needs the heart. It still needs your lungs. It still needs all the other parts to function, your nervous system and so on. The head needs the other parts. They're interdependent on each other. So Paul is saying this, that husbands and wives are not independent, but they are interdependent of each other. So 
Husbands, don't get all puffed up thinking that you're the head, okay? Because we are also dependent upon our wives. We need the woman, your woman, in your life. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. So I, I really love this part of 1 Corinthians because it kind of puts it all together when you understand the Greek and then you also break down each verse as to what Paul is saying here. So you're not just the leader, you're also the needer. And I think that's a good phrase for all of us to remember. You're not just the leader, you're also the needer. And we always like to bring in Jesus, right? Because he's the main example for all of this for us. So Jesus even modeled this for us in Philippians 2, 5 and 7. It says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was not God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Just, uh, just as I said before, we need Jesus' input in our lives. Uh, we complement each other, although we are both leaders, Gene and I, right? But we are not the same. Each one of us needs Jesus' input. Gene has strengths, and I have strengths, and our weaknesses, and we're vice versa. We complete each other. And so Paul is saying the attitude we must have as men or leaders is the same attitude as Jesus in this Philippians verse, which is humility. Jesus didn't use his God authority to smack down his enemies. He could have, but he didn't. What he did is he came to this earth as a human being to serve. That's what we should do too as men in a marriage relationship is serve our wives out of the love that we have for him. Now, um, I, I said that the head leads and the head needs. So here's some guidance on how to make this work. Uh, We call these next steps or action steps sometimes. So the first one that I want to talk about is cover your head. Cover your head. The head coverings in this chapter were a sign of respect for husbands and a sign of respect for Jesus. Now, although we don't have that custom anymore, it's still important to cover your head. And what I mean by this is, is wives protect your husbands in your marriage relationship. Cover them instead of exposing them. And Gene, it was really interesting because once we came into this relationship with Jesus, and and Gene never did this before anyways, but she was more aware of the office cooler talk after we got saved. And she would come home and just be just, you know, feeling bad in her spirit because of all, some of the late, not all, some of the ladies at the job that she worked at would just expose their husbands all the time. Like I said before, there's no way I'm perfect. I have messed up a whole bunch of times, but it really gives me uh, a lot of, not, not satisfaction, but a lot of comfort knowing our relationship that Gene is not gonna expose me or uncover me uh, when she's talking with her friends. And, and, that, and that's important for me because she's always got my back. I just know that Jean always has my back. And, and like I said, she would just grieve sometimes because of the conversations around the water cooler at that workplace. And you can probably understand this, maybe if you haven't seen that in your own life on Facebook. Facebook is huge for this, right? All the backbiting and exposing and throwing down and all this kind of stuff. Facebook is horrible for that. So number one, cover your head. Number two, 
that we have is don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. It's easy for us to get all independent. And I don't mean by losing your head like blowing your stack or getting angry. Uh, It's easy for us to get all independent. And even if you're not married, remember that Jesus is your head. And so a lot of times, don't lose your head. Don't lose sight of Jesus in your life. Don't get too far ahead of what he's trying to do. I know a lot of times for me, I, I get a little impatient sometimes. And it's really easy for me to, to kind of just jump out in front and not let Jesus do all the leading. And so I lose my head. And one way for me not to lose my head is to spend a little time with Jesus in the morning right when I get up. Before I start my day, I usually make some coffee. I go into my office and I kind of relax for a little bit. And I just spend a little time with Jesus. A lot of times these are called morning devotions. And it really starts my day off talking to Jesus and just kind of setting things up right. So number one, cover your head. Number two, don't lose your head. Number three, watch your head. Watch your head. And I don't mean to, as you go into a low area, I have to do that a lot because I'm 6'1". I got to watch my head sometimes. But no, learn to trust the leadership of your head. Wives, trust your husband. Husbands, single people, trust Jesus. Watch your head. Jesus is trustworthy. And husbands, I think I want to speak to us real quick, quick, is we need to be trustworthy. Be trustworthy in your marriage relationship with your wife. I know it was a, a lot of times Gene talks about this, is that, you know, as we, we uh, do this unconditional love, as we express unconditional love for each other and we sacrifice and love each other, she just wants to build up a relationship and follow me is what she says. Now, it's not some kind of weird thing, but that gives her comfort in her life, in her spiritual life. And I think it's the same thing here too. We as husbands need to be trustworthy and we need to earn that trust of our wives. So husbands, watch your head. Make sure that you're following Jesus so that your wife has something worthwhile to follow after you. And then the fourth thing is I want to say is don't get in over your head. I made a little mention to this a little bit ago when I said about don't lose your head, but don't get in over your head. I said that I'm, I'm a little impatient sometimes and it's a lot easy, it is easy for me to kind of get out in front of what God is doing. But what I've come to find out since I've been serving Jesus is I just need to slow down a little bit and I need to not get let get in over my head i need to let jesus lead and we all need to do that in our lives is to let jesus lead so i hope that although this was kind of a confusing few verses in first corinthians 11 i hope we broke it down well enough for you to kind of understand what paul was talking about paul was talking about this in a, a cultural standing but there is a spiritual principle here that i think each of us can learn from is about this headship Don't lose your head. And remember that everyone has a head. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your word for us today. I thank you, Lord, that that you care so much for us that you put these few verses here that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, God. And Lord, I know that over the years, many times some of these verses that Paul wrote down are are taken out of context. But God, once we understand what your heart is, 
And once we get through the translations and we adequately understand what the Greek, what the English word is from the Greek, it all becomes clear in our minds that God, you are a God who cares for us. You're a God also of organization, but you are a God of love. And Jesus, I thank you so much that you humbled yourself and died on that cross for me. That is the ultimate sacrifice, God. And so, Lord, it it would have been so easy for you to exercise your God-given authority and just smack down your enemies, but you took the position of a humble servant and you call us to do the same in our lives. Now, I don't say this to be funny as we're bowed in his presence, but maybe you've lost your head. And what I mean by that is that you've walked away from from God and you you need to be reconnected today. Or, Or maybe you've never prayed the prayer to be connected to God. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity in the next few moments to do that. So if that's you, as we're about in his presence, if you could raise your hand, I'd just like to remember you in prayer. Thank you. Thank you. There's a couple of us here today that, that need to have that headship of Jesus in our lives. Thank you, Lord. So I'm just going to pray a simple prayer over us. And if that's you, if you... If you need Jesus in your life, you just say this along with me. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to this world. God, I admit that I'm a sinner and and I need a Savior. And Jesus, you are that Savior. Jesus, you gave up your position in heaven to be that sacrifice for me today. And all I can say is thank you. God, I just pray that you would take my sins away, that you would clean me from the inside out, that you would make me new again, and that you would guide my future steps. I commit them to you right now. I commit my life to you right now, Jesus, and I just say thank you for dying for me. Guide my steps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.